and welcome to the 42nd episode of The Morning Rage. I'm your host, Jen Prentice. And I'm your co-host, Lauren O'Keefe. This is not your mom's morning show. It's a space where we pop off about all things culture, society, and politics in order to help you unpack your beliefs, feel more confident in sharing your voice. And today, we wrap up our series on contentment as we discuss comparison and the ultimate evil, dun-dun-dun, social media. (laughs) Gosh, I honestly thought social media was the worst, but after all the research I've done this week, I'm at like my breaking point with it, to be honest. It just confirmed everything you already knew (laughs) and made it even more worse. Yeah. Even more worse. That's terrible. It's more worse. Yeah, we love it because it helps connect us, or so we think, to other people and the world and It just has so many negative effects that it's pretty frightening. It does. And we are going to get into all of those effects, especially the ones that they have on our own contentment in this episode. But Jen, first, how are you doing? Do you have anything you want to get off your chest? Maybe a little pop off? Those are some real loaded questions. (laughs) How am I doing? Do I have anything I want to get off my chest? Yeah. The short answer is yes. The longer answer is not right now. (laughs) The third answer is I think I actually popped this week just in general. (laughs) Like had a legit breakdown. Pop goes the gen. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. This level of breakdown that I had this week really hasn't happened to me in years, Mm. if I'm honest. And what I realized is that I'm not controlling my inputs, something we'll talk a little bit about today. I'm trying to do too much. I'm saying yes to things that aren't really mine to do. And I am not God. I cannot be all things to all people while doing all the things at the same time. I'm still very much in the thick of processing what happened this week, like why I broke down. And when I say breakdown, I mean, I cried uncontrollably for at least an hour, multiple nights in a row. And that's not sustainable. No. <laughs> we all need a good cry every now and again, but I I totally get it. Mm-hmm. And I do want to unpack all of it here on the pod with our little community. But I think next week's L's episode will be a place to do that, particularly when we talk about what we've been learning and uh, what we're leaving. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. be prepared for a huge <laughs> word vomit next week. But... I will say the question that I'm asking, and I think we should all be asking right now, because I have actually talked to quite a few other women this week who, in me talking about how I had a breakdown, also confessed to me that they felt like they were about to have a breakdown and couldn't talk to anyone about Mm. it. So the question that I'm asking, and I think we should all be asking right now, is in a chaotic world where everything is vying for our time and attention... What are the three things that are most important to me in this season? Mm -hmm. I think I sometimes have a tendency to prioritize three or four, ten things that I think (laughs) will be the priority forever. Mm -hmm. But I do view life as seasons. So I'm looking at in this season, where can I make the most impact? And then I'm trying to say no or stop doing or find someone else to do all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. I've been making the wrong things, the main things, and God really revealed some areas of my life that I've been making an idol lately. I'll talk more about that next week. And while this week was really hard, I think, at least I hope, that it will be kind of a defining point in my life and my relationships and the way that I spend my time moving forward. 
Do you know what podcast I listened to this week, Lauren? Let's see. Would it maybe be someone like Annie F. Downs? <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I listened to her podcast with Christy Wright, who is a personality on the Dave Ramsey Network. I actually think she can be kind of cheesy sometimes, Christy. But this podcast on her new book, Take Back Your Time, was super helpful mm. in processing priorities in each season of life. And then the other podcast that Annie did this week was with leadership guru, Carrie Newhoff, who I had never heard of, but apparently is a super well-known leadership podcaster and like former pastor and stuff. And the one thing that I took away from the podcast with Carrie was when he said, time off won't heal me if the problem is how I spend my time on. Ooh, that one hurts. (laughs) Sure does. Oh, it's so true. It's so much nicer to have something external outside of ourselves to blame, you know, for why things aren't going well. It's like, oh, well, if I only had time off or if I only had a break or if I only had a vacation or, yeah, but then how are we actually spending the rest of our time? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or I tend to blame, like, I'm just, I have too much on my plate right now. Well, who put those things on your plate? (laughs) Like I did. Yeah. I put them there. Mm -hmm. So I'm just processing this week. I feel really good that I'm on the upswing and next week I'll be ready to talk about it. Good. You're really good at the deconstruction and reconstruction. See, that's what you're doing. I'm a... It's a little painful sometimes. Did I just give myself a new job? (laughs) No, I'm saying no to those things. (laughs) Nothing new on my plate. All right. What are you popping off about this week? There was this fascinating article and survey in the New York Times this week. If you like cosmopolitan quizzes, which I know you do, Jen, this would be a very adult political version of that. I know it sounds really sexy. (laughs) Tell me more. (laughs) So we'll post this link in our show notes, but there's actually this quiz that you can take, and it's based on this idea that the two-party system in America for democracy is not working. It's broken. Democrats and Republicans are locked in an increasingly destructive partisan struggle that has produced gridlock and stagnation on too many critical issues. And, you know, some of those urgent ones are like the pandemic and climate change. And so this is introducing the idea that maybe we should have more of a six party system. I know six seems like a lot. Um, But that's what they're proposing. And they're saying that it wouldn't even require a constitutional amendment. Like, this is something that would still be constitutional for us to have more parties. I mean, there are other parties. People just don't really, you know, aren't really a part of them, aren't really pushing those forward. And to be honest, you and I have talked about this a lot. The idea that all of us would live in two parties, it just doesn't really make sense. Yeah, people aren't monoliths. So to look at the two-party system and say, hey, let's pick one or the other. Yeah. That just doesn't work. And yeah, you can be libertarian or green party or no, I think you can have no party affiliation, right? Mm -hmm. So that's fine. Yeah. But I'm interested in this six party system thing. Tell me more. Okay. So some things I like about this idea is it recognizes that we don't all fit in a box and the important issues we're facing also don't have just two sides. It leaves room for nuance, which you know we love around here. And it also takes away the like us versus them mentality. There's not just like two of us that are constantly in opposition. 
I think it would also hopefully have that same effect on like higher political levels of government. So more like a board meeting where everyone is talking about different perspectives than two perspectives arguing with each other in gridlock. So some interesting pieces there and the quiz that you take basically tells you which party you would fall closest to, which is very interesting. And then there's some info on each of them. Some things I don't like about this idea, it feels highly improbable that this will ever happen. I agree. (laughs) Like, at least in our lifetime, people don't like change. I'm sorry. The government doesn't like change. The idea that this will someday get introduced is just very hard for me to believe. Yes, I don't think this will work. But again, I'm interested in the idea. The other thing that I'm not a fan of is that one of the parties that they proposed in the article, and these are just proposed names based on you know, what they relate closest with. But the one party is called the Christian Conservative Party. Interesting. They say the Christian Conservative Party is focused centrally on issues of religious liberty and morality and very limited government. It will find stronger support among the most politically engaged and affluent, especially men. Its potential leaders include Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, and Mike Pompeo. Now, I know the idea of Christian conservatives exists in the political sphere, right? So this isn't like a new concept, and I I know that it exists. But it just really irks me to think that there would be a formal political party claiming the word Christian in their name, almost taking away anything from other Christians who think differently politically. I'm not as put off by Christian being in the name. I think it does say a lot about the vocal moral majority and Mm -hmm. how much sway they have that the New York Times would add the word Christian to Mm -hmm. one of the potential political parties. Like I said, I'm not really as bothered by the nomenclature, if you will, Mm -hmm. but I agree. I could see a situation where Christians Mm -hmm. will say, well, if you're a Christian and you're not in the Christian conservative party, Mm -hmm. then are you even a Christian? Yeah, so like the idea that the six-party system would help break us out of these boxes of Democrat-Republican, you just created a new box for Christians in one party. So I just don't love the box, you know? Also, that's making the assumption that only Christians are concerned with religious liberty and morality and very limited government. So I do think that adding the word Christian to the front of the party name would exclude not just Christians who don't feel strongly about some of these religious liberty issues, but also people who aren't Christians, don't identify as Christian. Mm -hmm. So as someone who teaches marketing, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the names that we ascribe to things, it's a branding issue. It's like the, to get political again, it's like the defund the police Mm -hmm. campaign movement. Yes. What a horrible name. Yes, Choose your words wisely. Yes. Mm -hmm. That is a total branding issue. Yeah. If you had said reallocate money to resources that will help, a much less sexy title, I agree. Of course. But that's really what it is. Yes. At least people would understand it from the start. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But you say defund the police and people are like, no. Yeah. We have to be careful. Names matter. That's very true. Words matter. Mm -hmm. We talk about that all the time. We do. So I know that. We've now just solved all of the political party <laughs> issues. Typical of us. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. We do that in an hour or less on this podcast. Uh, 
note for the audio. I'm kidding. <laughs> but we're going to dive into an issue that I'm not sure we can actually solve today. <laughs> and we could probably talk about for three, four days in a row. Uh, do you think that we can really cover all there is to talk about regarding contentment and social media today, Lauren? This issue is obviously multifaceted. I mean, it's ever-changing. We're still learning the effects of social media because it realistically hasn't been around that long. So I think in some ways, no, but we are going to hit some hot points and I think we're going to have some fun doing it. We always have fun. We always have fun. So let's dive in. Jen, when did social media really begin to have an impact on your life? Like, was it AIM, MySpace? You know, we're like the last generation that even remembers a before time, which is kind of sad. Oh, yeah. I didn't hop on board the MySpace train because I was taught to fear the internet. (laughs) (laughs) I believe I went into chat rooms a couple times in high school. Oh, wow. And my parents caught me talking with someone who was probably a sexual predator. (laughs) I don't know. There's like... In the wild west of the early days of the internet, it yes. really was like a 50-50 chance that it was like <laughs> sexual predator yeah. or legit 13-year-old boy who was just trying to hop on and talk to some girls. Yeah. Now it's like 95% sexual predator. Yes, that's true. So back then, who knows? It's a toss-up. But I was taught to fear the internet. I was barely allowed to touch AIM because of my chat room experience. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I literally got caught. <laughs> and my parents were like... Don't touch the computer without like, our permission ever. What does ASL mean? <laughs> the great news about the internet back in those days is that you couldn't hop on it without alerting everyone in your house that oh, you were yeah. hopping on. Yeah, you were taking over the phone line. You were taking over the phone line. And do you remember the AOL discs mm, that you yes. had to put in to get your hours of internet? And they made noise. <laughs> it was literally like beep, boom, beep, boom, beep. Yeah, That's the good. house like shook mm-hmm. when you. <laughs> so, taught to fear the internet in high school, used it a bit in college. I did use AIM. Jenny Sue 1207 was my name of choice. Oh my gosh. Oh, no. uh-huh. I was an early adopter of Facebook, though. Yes. I think I was a senior in college or maybe in my first year of grad school when I created an account. And for context, when I started using Facebook, you still had to have a college email address. And you could not upload photos. It was mm. solely status updates mm-hmm, at that time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A few months later, when you could upload photos, it wasn't from your phone to the app. <laughs> there no. was no app. <laughs> no. It was from your digital camera. That yeah. <laughs> you plugged into your computer, downloaded all of your photos. Yes, yeah, so it took at least an hour. To uh-huh. the desktop. To the yes. desktop. Mm-hmm. And then uploaded your desktop photos onto Facebook into an album. Oh, yeah. Big album drop. Mm -hmm. Big album (laughs) drop. I think the more interesting part about uploading those photos in the early days of Facebook is how conscious I was from literally day one of using it Mm. that I needed to upload the right images and make it seem like I was doing awesome stuff in life. For sure. And there was no manual at that time, no precedent for what photos to upload, what things people were sharing. I mean, now we'll talk about in a minute. Now people only upload filtered, posed, digitally enhanced photos. And they have a brand for their social media presence. But somehow in those early days, when no one was doing that, I just kind of knew like, 
I need to make sure that I'm only uploading photos of myself doing fun things at the right angle with the right lighting. Yeah, this was the first time that you were putting photos publicly out to friends on the internet in a community. I mean, no pressure, right? I also used a lot of captions on my photos. Oh, yeah. Oh, you had to caption every photo. Yeah. For sure. And they had to be like witty. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was Instagramming before there was Instagram. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Always on the cusp. <laughs> what about you? What was your first experience with social media? Yeah, it's so interesting because I feel like we're, like we're saying, like we grew up with it. Like I was... In junior high, when like AIM was like a thing, and then I was in high school when MySpace was a thing, and then by the time I was in college, Facebook had already started. I remember getting a Facebook account because now I had a college email, and that was like, you couldn't, you couldn't not be on Facebook if you were in college. <laughs> like, if you weren't on Facebook, were you even in college? <gasps> That's a very good question. Now it's like, if you're not on Instagram, do you even exist? Like, <laughs> no. Yeah. So. It was weird to go through those times and see it for what it was. And yeah, I mean, we were all very aware of how insecure we started to feel as we were using these new things, as we were connecting with people digitally, as a replacement to connecting with people in real life. Like there was some weirdness about it, but I don't think we understood the depths of how much it would affect our psyche and like how we felt about ourselves in years to come. And then to think now that kids are growing up with it from the moment they're in elementary school, like they have access to all of these things, including TikTok and Snapchat and like it's endless, the social platforms. So I just can't imagine being in junior high, which like, Nobody's greatest moment was in junior high. And nowadays I see like junior hires and I'm like, wait, I didn't look like that in junior high. No, I don't want to follow any junior hires on Instagram. (laughs) One, because it's going to be real creepy. Two, because I will probably just feel bad about my formative years. (laughs) So it's just got to be so hard. I can't even really imagine. So let's get into some statistics that I found that are pretty fascinating. According to 2021 statistics, the average person spends about 145 minutes on social media every day. And this compared to data in 2012 is a 61% increase. So almost an entire hour a day more than in 2012. That is scary. Yeah. And if that doesn't freak you out, then wait for it. Because 16 to 24 year olds spend an average of three hours a day on social media. Three hours a day on social media? Yeah. That is frightening. Mm-hmm. So if you start spending three hours a day on social media at 16. Yeah. Chances are it's not going to decrease, right? No, it's like part of your daily habits. It's part of your daily routine. You're locked in. You're in the matrix for three hours a day. And that's how you are connecting with people. I cannot imagine spending three hours a day on social media that is terrifying. Go on, depress me more. (laughs) I mean, I just think we need to be more thoughtful, have a better understanding of what social media and that much time devoted to it means for us and does for our mental, emotional wellness. Like if I was going to eat an entire box of donuts every day, which like, trust me, it's kind of my dream. (laughs) (laughs) You brought me slow doco donuts. Oh, they're like my kryptonite. I know. For those who don't know, Slow Doco is a local donut mm-hmm. shop here yeah. in town. And I have lived here for 13 years. 
and never had one. I'm so glad I could do that for you. And I'm so sorry that you're going to crave them now. <laughs> I, I can't untaste what I have tasted. Yeah, They were true. delightful. I know. So yes, I would eat an entire box of uh, Slow Doco Donuts Same. every day. But like if I'm going to do that, I would also want to know what's in them, right? And like what that'll do to me if I eat a box of donuts every day, right? Like that would be kind of important information if this was a decision I want to make for my life. <laughs> I think if you've made a conscious decision to eat a box of donuts every day, you actually don't want to know what's in them. You've put on your give up pants. That's true. That's true. I do think we should dive into what social media affects in our lives, especially when it comes to contentment. So let's break down some of these ways that it affects us. I want to interject here for a minute because I know there's a lot of podcasts out there that talk about social media or a lot of studies out there that talk about the negative effects of social media. And when I was thinking about this particular podcast episode, I thought, oh man, are we just doing something that's already been done? But if people are spending three hours Mm -hmm. a day on social media, and it truly is as harmful as we are going to discuss, then clearly we're not getting these messages. We're not understanding it. Mm -hmm. So we have to continue to reinforce how bad it is for us because we have to remember that and stay off of it. Yeah. I mean, it has become such a staple, especially in Western culture, to be on social media, to have your kids on social media. Like, it's just a part of life. We need to rethink why and if it's good for us and if the benefits truly do outweigh the negatives. So let's get into some of these things. We're going to try to make it as simple as possible since there is so much to talk about, but we're going to focus on three things. One is comparison, which I think we all know (laughs) is an issue. Um, Selfie culture. Oof, this one really gets me. And lastly is external validation. So we'll break down those three, starting with comparison. Who hasn't been on social media and instantly started comparing their lives or success to that of someone else? Jen, I'm sure you've never experienced this with your Enneagram 3 self, no? Never. I only have feelings of love and happiness (laughs) when I go on those social apps, girl. I'm really grateful I didn't have social media when I was struggling with my eating disorder, seeing beautiful photos of celebrities on the cover of tabloids and Mm people.com was hard enough for me. If I had to deal with influencer culture and comparing myself to other people on social media back then, I actually might have died. I'm not being dramatic. Mm -hmm. I think that I could have done some real harm to my body Mm. and to my mental health. And now as a 30-something mom of two, the comparison hits when I go on social media And I see women who appear to be handling life and careers and parenthood so much better than me, Mm -hmm. while I feel like I'm not doing anything well. So when I feel stressed, social media is the first thing that I cut out because the comparison makes me feel even worse. Mm -hmm. And the feeling, because I am an Enneagram 3, of having to share something pretty or on brand, that doesn't feel authentic when I'm crying before bed every night. Yeah. So... I want external social media gen to match the real everyday behind the scenes gen. And that often means getting off of social Mm. so that I'm not comparing myself to other people and really just focusing on the things that I can control 
in my own life. Yes, I think that's really important. And I have seen people do this really well on social media because I understand that people have built a really beautiful community digitally of other people that they can connect with and understand each other and support. And sometimes, yes, you can do that very well on social media. It is a tool that helps us connect. But I think we also need to understand that we have a responsibility if we're going to be on these social apps to not be representing a life that doesn't match our real one. Like if you want to share what is going on in your world, do that. But be aware of how you're portraying it because I think we have a social responsibility to other people that we are connected with to be real. Yes, I try to think before I post, is this going to hurt or harm someone's mental health? Like, are they going to look at this post and think, man, she's really got it all together. I could never be like that. Or are they going to look at it and say, yes, I get that. I identify with that. Mm -hmm. I feel the same. Mm -hmm. And I don't always do the best job of this, but I feel pretty good about the fact that most of what I post is me sharing something that I'm struggling with and inviting other people to identify with that struggle Mm. rather than Mm -hmm. me sharing a selfie and saying, oh, look at how great my life is and how much fun I'm having. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a difficult thing. And I started getting into kind of like the psychological aspect of comparison. So let's talk about that a bit. I found this article and we'll link to it in the show notes, but it talks about social comparison pre-social media and post-social media because We've always compared ourselves to other people. It's just our circle has grown (laughs) to the number of people we can compare ourselves to. So this article says there could be many reasons why social media has been linked with increased anxiety and depressive symptoms, negative body image, sleep problems, and cyberbullying. But increased social comparison is one of the most powerful. Social comparison is a form of sociological self-esteem where we derive our sense of self through comparing ourselves with others. People have a tendency to make downward social comparisons with those who are worse off or less skilled than them, and this can raise their self-esteem, which is sad and scary, but we all do it. I mean, this is why we sometimes watch reality TV, right? (laughs) Yes. We'll be like, okay, well, at least we seem to be doing better than whoever this person is. There are a lot of downward comparisons to be made (laughs) in reality television influencer culture. Yes. (laughs) But conversely, upward social comparisons can reduce our self-esteem and are more likely with social media. So social comparison in the real world usually involves yourself and a few others, while the digital universe of social media presents almost limitless potential for people to compare themselves against others. Yes, I think the limitless potential Mm. of what you can absorb and consume and see on social media is incredibly harmful, not just from a comparison standpoint, but also from a mental health standpoint. Mm -hmm. Like maybe you're not comparing yourself to someone on the internet, but there's so much information on social media now Yes, that it can be overwhelming to digest all that is going on on these apps. Mm Mm-hmm. There's this research that predates social media and it estimates that the average person had maybe 10 to 20 close relationships. Maybe they had up to like 150 tops of just people that they were like acquainted to in their life. 
The average number of online quote unquote friends is estimated at 338. So while social connection offers people many positive opportunities, the more connections mean more opportunities there are for social comparison. So like, let's just say we used to just be keeping up with the Joneses, right? <laughs> but now we're keeping up with complete strangers that we know nothing about besides the fact that their lives and pictures look better than our reality. And now we can click a link that will directly take us to be able to purchase whatever oh. it is that yeah. these complete strangers yes. are wearing, mm -hmm. are doing, are putting in their houses. Yes, where they're vacationing. Uh-huh. And so, you can tell by the amount of money that is being paid to these influencers that it's working like really well, better than advertisements, better than anything else. So now social media is not just bad for our mental health and our contentment, but also bad for our wallets. Yeah, it's a spiral for sure, because once we feel bad about ourselves in the comparison game, then we think, how do I make myself feel better? Probably by getting that bag that she's wearing, because then I'll look like that in photos. Even if you can't afford it, yeah. you think it's going to make you feel more content with yourself. The litmus test for what I post where, you know, if it's going to make people feel less than or discontent, I don't really want to post it. I apply that to who I follow mm -hmm. as well. And I look at how the people I'm following are portraying themselves and their lives. And if it is making me feel less than to follow someone, I stop. If it makes me feel like I should be doing more when I see their profile, mm -hmm. I stop. And if it makes me feel better about myself or some sort of moral superiority or prideful whenever I'm following someone and looking at their posts, then I have to stop following them too because that discontent, not great, but feeling better, that downward comparison, yes. yeah. feeling prideful yes. and better than someone, that's not good either. No, definitely not. That kind of feeds into this next thing where we're talking about social media changing a standard for ourselves that is unrealistic. And that's with selfie culture. Do you take selfies, Jen? You mean, do I ever duck face? Yes. <laughs> I do not duck face, but I have been known to take and post a selfie from time to time. I can't say that I'm proud of that, <laughs> but I won't lie about it either. It is on the internet. The evidence is out there. I'm so proud of you because I am going to admit that I never have ever posted a selfie. Like, it, even if you look at my camera roll right now, I don't even take selfies because the few times that I have tried to take a selfie, I immediately feel so insecure. I'm like, is one of my eyes bigger than the other one? Like all of the questions in my head start reeling. Like it doesn't even look like the person I see in the mirror. It's totally different. And you're like, whoa, what's that angle of me? Like, <laughs> it's, it's so scary that I can't even do it. I do agree that I have looked at my phone because I do take selfies on my phone. If you go through my camera roll, there's some selfies in there, girl. <laughs> because I like to see what other what people, other people see. are seeing. <laughs> Did you know, though, that your front-facing camera plays a little bit of like a mind trick on you? So it does tend to make your nose a little bigger? That's such a relief. Honestly, <laughs> I'm serious. Wow. Yeah. So that and on your laptop, that front-facing camera that we all use on Zoom, it's also like contorting our face just slightly enough that we're like, is this what I look like? Wow, uh -huh. what a relief. Yeah, it, it kind of is a relief. I was listening to The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, and he was talking about the good and the bad of social media. Obviously, mostly the bad. 
there were some interesting stats that he featured. And so I wanted to bring those up because I think they're going to help us frame this conversation. It's no surprise, but body image issues are on the rise due to the pandemic. So 43% of women and 26% of men say that COVID-19 negatively affected how attractive they felt. I mean, there are many reasons for this. (laughs) Obviously. The doing nothing, the sourdough bread (laughs) making. sourdough bread making. The drinking. Yes. uh Uh-huh. All the things. But it's also the Zooms. So it's countless hours on Zoom has caused more Americans to be insecure about their appearance. They're calling this Zoom dysmorphia. Yes, that is a real thing. I had to teach on Zoom four hours a day, twice a week for the past year and a half, and nothing exposes your insecurities like staring at your forehead wrinkles for that long each week. Yes, I mean, tell me, when you are on a Zoom call, what percentage of the time are you looking at yourself versus them? Almost 100%. I hate to say it. No, it is. I think it's natural. I think everyone's doing it because they're like, oh, it's me. Like, we love looking at our face. Like, that's, it's actually just like psychological. We do. So we're just staring at our little face on the screen for four hours. Like, humans weren't created to see their faces all the time. Can I? Think about that. Can I make a confession? Tell me. On my Zoom screen, when I'm teaching or in a meeting, I make my face the biggest one. <laughs> no, that feels so uncomfortable to admit. I don't think you're the only one, Jen. I don't think you're the only one. I, well, the main reason for that is because none of my students showed their screen over Zoom. Oh, yeah. And it's very demotivating to stare at empty boxes. Yeah, yeah. stare at empty black boxes. <laughs> but I found it more energizing and I stayed more engaged yes. whenever I was giving a lecture. Yeah. If the, uh, person that I was talking to was me. (laughs) Well, it probably makes you feel um, not nervous either, you know? It probably helps with your self-confidence to be like, oh, I'm just talking to myself. This is normal. Totally. So yeah, I mean, humans weren't created to see their faces all the time. Think about it. Like, the OG selfie was like a painted self-portrait, and you could really do whatever you wanted to yourself. Like, take Picasso, for example. Oh, that's... (laughs) That's true. So now... We not only can stare at our faces, take pictures of ourselves, but now we have instant photo filters to enhance the photos that we put out there to like some level of impossible perfection. Remember when we played with that Facetune app and we like changed our cheekbones and the size of our nose and where our eyebrows were placed? That was one of my favorite memories from the pandemic. (laughs) Yes, I do remember that. It was both hilarious and horrifying at the same time. And I did not know that there were so many different ways to digitally alter Mm -hmm. your appearance. And now I can't look at an influencer's profile, at a celebrity's profile, without thinking, I bet her nose isn't really that small. (laughs) The obsession with personal appearance that selfie culture encourages has like a darker implication for our mental health. A study in the Journal of the American Medical Association says that filtered pictures can take a toll on self-esteem, body image, and lead to body dysmorphic disorder. It sets unrealistic expectations of beauty. I agree with everything that you just said. (laughs) But like I'm saying, like once you have this filtered version of yourself in your head, you become dissatisfied with what you really look like. And if this is bad for adults, imagine what it's like for teens. I think that's the scarier thing. Mm Mm-hmm. I was actually talking to a group of college freshmen this morning, and I brought up the fact that no one has it all figured out. And I specifically said, despite what their TikTok, 
Instagram, Snapchat, or other social media mm-hmm. accounts are telling you. No one has it all figured out. So do not compare yourself physically, professionally, personally to what your friends are posting online. Mm-hmm. It is so scary for teenagers, for early 20-somethings whose prefrontal cortexes are not fully developed (laughs) until 25. And even then, as a 37-year-old, I have to constantly remind myself Mm -hmm. of the danger and the damage that social media can do. That is why we're doing this podcast episode. So it is so scary Mm -hmm. to think about the psychological effects of social media on body image, on mental health in teens and 20-somethings. Yeah. Psychologists are actually speaking out now about how these photo filters specifically are robbing teenagers of their youth. And it's so troubling to see how it's affecting them while they're still developing their sense of self. I'm going to tell you something. I don't mean to scare you, but I think we should reveal some of these like darker truths about it. One in seven girls reported being unhappy in the way they look by the end of elementary school. And this doubles to one in three by age 14. I'm going to make a statement that's not going to be popular. If you are allowing your elementary school child Mm -hmm. to use social media, Mm -hmm. please stop. Yeah. Just like how we shouldn't have been in chat rooms. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That creepy old man slash 13 year old. I had no business talking to him. Yeah. There's a level of protection for not just the safety of your child. You sometimes think, well, they're safe. I mean, they're, they're... happy and safe, but it's like, what are you doing to protect their mental, emotional well-being in such a important, impactful time of their lives? The research shows that 80% of young girls are using these photo retouching apps before posting to social media. And those with high scores of manipulating their photos were associated with high scores of body-related or eating concerns. I told you, I would yeah. have crumbled. Yeah. I would have sat in a corner and sucked my thumb. If I had had access to all of these retouched images mm-hmm. of other women when I was struggling with an eating disorder in college, yeah. I would have died. Mm-hmm. And I probably would have started struggling with an eating disorder even earlier in yes. high school yeah. if I had had access to these images. Yeah. And the effect that these have on other girls, but then when you're using these retouching apps yourself, it's so easy to do, Jen, like you and I looked at. And once you start, it's so hard to stop. You're like, well, we'll just use this one on Snapchat that like makes me like glowy and like covers my imperfections. And then maybe I'll just tweak my nose a little bit. And then maybe I'll just this. Like, it's almost impossible not to when everyone else is already using them. And the more people look at doctored up images, the more likely they are to seek out cosmetic procedures at younger ages. Plastic surgeons coined a term called Snapchat dysmorphia after seeing an influx of people of all ages turning to plastic surgery to look more like their filter. That's gross. I know. And 62% of plastic surgeons reported patients are going under the knife because of dissatisfaction with their social media profile. 57% said their patients wanted to look better in selfies. That's super interesting and terrifying. Yes, it sure is. Selfies, they seem harmless. They're actually like really harmful. I am sure. More harmful than a box of donuts, Jen. Well, I don't know. I'm just kidding. Nothing like some deep fried sugar to make you feel both better and worse at the same time. (laughs) That's what it is. Uh All right, let's move on to external validations. This is our last 
thing that we'll talk about. Mm, Is this where we get to talk about the incredibly awful movie that we watched together (laughs) last week? Oh, yes, Jen. Yes, it is. And I think this is where we can have a little bit of that fun we talked about after all of the dark statistics that we just divulged. Would you like to tell everyone about this movie we watched? Well, I'm going to get my youth pastor vibe on (laughs) because I am bringing a hip movie reference to establish a rich biblical teaching. Oh, this is a slow clap moment. Wow. Okay. Let's do it. What's up, everyone? Hope you had a great week. Lauren, you're a big fan of She's All That with Rachel Lee Cook and Freddie Prince Jr., right? I am. And Paul Walker. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh-huh, mm-hmm. I could probably recite every word to that movie. I really loved it. We watched the remake that recently came out on Netflix, He's All That, <laughs> with TikTok star Addison Ray. Did mm. you know who Addison Ray was? Nope. Before this? Nope. Mm-mm. I'm not um, a TikToker. The only time I get on the TikToks is when I'm having a really bad day and I need to see some dog videos. That is what I use TikTok for. I use TikTok for animal videos and hip hop dance videos. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I do I, it at the end of the day. Yes. Whenever I need to check <laughs> out as go. well. That's what it is. But no, I did not come across Addison Rae. I had never heard about her. I had heard of her because she is friends with Kourtney Kardashian. Ah, that makes sense. Yes. Mm -hmm. But I didn't follow her. I'd never seen anything that she had posted on TikTok until this week. Mm. So. What were your thoughts on this movie we watched together? I believe my exact thought, I said it in the moment, (laughs) was, well, it was better than I thought, but also somehow worse than I thought. (laughs) That really does sum it up nicely. And if you guys have watched it, I think you can agree. Yes. But also you don't need to watch it. No. No, 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 no. And please... Don't let your teenagers watch it. Yeah. Because I don't think the moral of the story really hits at all. It doesn't really land. Mm -hmm. Okay. So to explain, Addison Rae, who has 84 million TikTok (laughs) followers, and this movie, He's All That, was part of a multi-million dollar film deal that she made with Netflix. Mm -hmm. Did you know that, Lauren? No, it wasn't until after we watched the movie that I like looked into her a bit more because this is the first thing she's ever acted in. But she does decent. I mean, for just being a TikTok influencer, I guess. But she plays an influencer character in the movie. So that's like her deal. She's an influencer and she transforms this, let's say, quote unquote, dorky kid. He's He's just like a hot guy with a bad haircut and then suddenly he has a good haircut. So that's like the premise of him. Yes, she transforms him into a popular potential prom king. Ah, classic. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But before we get into the lessons learned from this movie, because yeah. as you can see from our very brief description of the plot, <laughs> there are many, I'm Many sure, nuggets. Many yeah. nuggets. Um, we'll talk about how it does expose the struggles with external validation. Can we just talk real fast about some of our favorite things from the movie? And I say favorite very loosely here. <laughs> Yes, we have to, because there were some moments that we did laugh out loud. I enjoyed those moments, so let's talk about those. What was your first real moment of laughter? <laughs> let's start with the name of the school that they go to, which is in California, and they call it the Cali High Earthquakes. Oh, yes, I did like that. <laughs> I also loved slash hated the super awkward guest appearances by Kourtney Kardashian. Yeah, I could not figure out why Kourtney Kardashian had these cameo moments in it. But now that I know they're friends, that makes sense. And they also had cameos from some of the original actors from She's All That, like Rachel E. Cook plays the mom. 
And Matthew Lillard's in it as like the principal of the high school, which is kind of funny. Speaking of Kourtney Kardashian, though, I would also like to say that I loved how much the lead actor, the dorky guy who gets turned into the prom king, looked like Kardashian groupie Jonathan Chabon. (laughs) Guys, he really does. I couldn't stop looking at him like that after you said it. But my favorite was the insight to the new lingo that the kids are saying, because this is going to help me. like this. It's going to help me with teaching this year. Yeah. So I learned the words twee. Yep. And wastrels. Do we know how to use these? No, I sure don't. No. Mm -mm. Okay. But you're going to interject to them as you teach college age kids. I would like to say that I'm going to Google the word twee (laughs) to figure out what it means, but I'm afraid of what might come up after I do that. Yeah, might be better not to. But the best line of the movie was, you don't deserve my croakum boosh, you croakum douche. <laughs> like, why are high schoolers eating croakum boosh? What is croakum boosh? It's like a very specific pastry. It's almost like a cream puff of sorts. See, this is what happens when you don't watch the Great British Baking Show, Jen. You're left out of the loop, croakum boosh. I'm the croakum douche here. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no, wait. The ultimate was the party theme that we're going to have to replicate. You know that, right? Oh, you mean the great Gatsby-themed party called Drop It Like F. Scott? (laughs) Yeah, it was honestly the best part of the whole movie. I love a good pun. They actually nailed that one. I was impressed. That was good. (laughs) All right, so let's get back to the external validation. In He's All That, Addison Rae's character is a popular social media influencer who is humiliated by her boyfriend in the middle of a live stream video... Her boyfriend is found cheating on her. Mm -hmm. She starts ugly crying during this live stream video and it goes viral and she loses a ton of followers and she freaks out like her life is over. She loses some sponsorships Mm -hmm. and she feels that the only way to get her sponsorships back and to gain those followers back is if she does something extreme. And you know what that extreme thing that she wants to do is? make over the dorky guy at high school to get back her followers and save face. It's a real loose plot. (laughs) I mean, but also it's not done in like a funny, let's make fun of this kind of way. It's done in like, kids can relate, you know? You get like one bad photo of you on the internet and you lose all these followers. Like no one wants to follow you anymore. Isn't that so sad, Jen? It felt so real that it was icky. It was. To watch. It was icky. So she bases her identity on this external validation that she's getting from the followers and the likes. And when she loses some of that, she starts to lose herself. And I think what they were trying to do at the end of the movie is show that, like, she doesn't need that sponsorship. Mm -hmm. She doesn't need that external validation. Mm -hmm. But by the end of the movie, she was really still an influencer. She was just posting videos of her doing different things other than makeovers. <laughs> now she was going on like these crazy horseback rides in Bali. Yeah, that's going thought... to make people feel better. It definitely didn't come to a full lesson learned. I think it more so exposed the reality for so many teenagers, especially like, can you imagine a 16, 17 year old? You have all these people on Instagram, one bad thing comes out and now no one wants to follow you. I mean, this is like devastating. I remember being in high school and like one thing happened and it was like the world was ending. Like it was, that's how you feel. Your emotions are going crazy. So, I mean, 
I get it. Like, I can't relate because I don't have 84 million followers and sponsorship deals to worry about. But I just even think like, who hasn't posted a photo to Instagram and then gone back to check it like every 10 minutes to see how many people liked or commented on it? I'm sorry, you don't know me. It's impossible not to. Like, no one posts a photo and then just like walks away for like two days. You post a photo and then you're like, did you even see it? Who saw it? What'd they say? Did they say anything? And you act like you're going on to like respond to emails. Like, oh, it's like my responsibility now to like respond to people. But like, you're not doing work. (laughs) And also, generally no one's commented. No, exactly. So then you go back every 10 minutes just to feel bad that not enough people have liked it. Oh, why didn't they like it? You felt great about posting it. It's the like going back for this validation from other people to tell you it's a good photo. That's a cute dress. Like, oh my gosh, your life looks amazing. And that is so scary if we're holding all of that external validation so closely. We all want validation. We crave it. And honestly, it's one of the hardest parts about being an adult. Would you agree? A hundred percent. Like I was a decently good student in the fact that I'm an Enneagram one and like was always trying to like do good and turn my homework assignments in on time. And, and what school structures did for me was like make sure that I had constant validation for doing good things. And you don't get that as an adult. Like I don't get any gold stars for a clean house or like when I do a good job at work or feel good about what I did at work. And so we turned to this thing, this app, whatever it is, to give us like a quick hit of feeling like, oh, I'm doing good. People like how I'm portraying my life. Yay me. With social media's endless endlessness. Yeah, that limitlessness that we talked about. Mm -hmm. I think I feel sometimes like, well, I could amass 84 million followers because they're out there. Mm. And why shouldn't I try for this? And this is definitely the Enneagram 3 in me talking because I guarantee you not everyone's like, I could amass 84 million followers on Instagram. But am I truly impacting 84 million people if I have 84 million followers? Sure, I might feel good with every like, share, repost, comment, but am I actually at the end of the day impacting lives? And what I've realized over this last week of feeling like my priorities are so out of whack is the most impact that I can make is not building something online. The biggest impact that I can make is with the people who are right in front of me. And you know what? Those aren't usually the people that are giving you that external validation. Mm -hmm. But at the end of my life, no one's going to say, she had 84 million followers (laughs) on Instagram. And man, Mm -hmm. every time she posted, it was just like, yes, it really impacted my life. No one's going to care about my social media presence at the end of my life, Mm -hmm. but they are going to care about how well I loved them and how much I showed up for them. Mm -hmm. And if I am chasing something whether it's social media, whether it's a career, whether it is fame, whatever it is, if I'm chasing something for that external validation without looking around and seeing who is collateral damage in the process, Mm -hmm. like if I'm chasing it at the expense of my family, my friends, other people, and that doesn't mean that I'm like intentionally doing something to damage them. But the lack of being present, that's one thing that we really haven't talked about is how social media takes us away from being present with our actual people. Yeah. If we're spending three hours on an app, yeah. that's three hours we're not sitting down 
face to face with people. And I'll be honest, how many times have I been staring at myself on Zoom and totally missed a question that someone asked me on a meeting? I mean, it doesn't happen that often, but it does happen because we are... You're distracted. We're distracted. And that is another thing that social media does, whether because we're trying to build something online or because we're just looking at it and we're scrolling. It takes us out of being present with our people and doing the things that will impact them and make a difference in their lives the most. I think that we run after that external validation and those likes and shares Mm -hmm. and that brand and that appearance of living an amazing life at the expense of being present with our already amazing lives. Yes. Yes. I love all of that that you said. Also, that three hours, it's it's not useful. And it's not just that it's not useful. It's harmful. It's damaging us in a way that we don't really understand. So I guess the question is like, what do we do, right? I mean, social media is always going to be a part of our lives. It is a valuable tool for connecting us and for things business-wise. So it's going to be there. A few things that I think we can look at is first, monitor our intake. We have talked about this before, but you know, just like I have to do with donuts. Maybe not today. Not today. I could eat eat a couple donuts today. But like, I'm not going to also eat donuts tomorrow, you know? So like, let's monitor our intake, understanding the weight of this thing. Also, we need to be aware if we are in a particularly vulnerable state that Instagram is only going to make it worse. Yes, or TikTok, or Snapchat, or, or Facebook. Yeah. Does anyone use Facebook anymore? I think um, aunts and uncles. Yes. yes. <laughs> I also think we just need to think twice about why we are even going on in the first place. Is it to connect with friends? Is it to celebrate other people's triumphs? Or is it to get that quick hit of validation? And also, if you're going to selfie, try not to filter it. It's not setting a realistic expectation for how you should see yourself and it's not presenting others with a realistic standard of beauty. Well, would you look at that? We solved contentment and the problems with social media after all. <laughs> should we reward ourselves with some hot stuff? Oh, I think we should. I'm excited for some hot stuff. What's your hot stuff? Okay, well, it actually kind of relates a little bit. Can we finally talk about Bachelor in Paradise? Like, we've been so good staying off the topic of the Bachelor franchise, but I mean, come on. Like, Lil John was the host this week. And I have to admit something. I think he's better than Chris Harrison. <laughs> Anytime Lil John talks, I'm like immediately engaged. Oh, he seems very excited to be there and super committed to his role in all of it. I love it. He's having the best time. Good for him. I know. And you know what? Good for Chris Harrison being out off the franchise. Because you know who wasn't committed to their role and committed to being there? <laughs> Christopher B. Harrison. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, and this season of Bachelor in Paradise is a real, like, we've said it before, a dumpster fire, but wow, this is max level. And there is a lot of social media scandals going on with some of the couples basically finding out that they've come onto the show just to boost their Instagram following. It's kind of sad. Yeah, Instagram and social media influencing has, dare I say, compromised what was already a questionable integrity of the Bachelor franchise. It really has. No one can ignore the fact that they're all on there to get followers. Like, let's be real. So we'll see what happens. Oh, okay. I want to talk about the Met Gala. Ooh, yes. What'd you think? What was the theme? I think it was just like America because there was a lot of American flag outfits. There was Ciara was in a full football gown, if, I, if that makes any sense. It does. <laughs> when I think of football, I guess I think of 
America. Yeah. I know everyone else in the rest of the world thinks of soccer. Yeah, that's true. But in America, we think football. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that the Met Gala is an ostentatious display of wealth and celebrity and very out of touch with reality. Oh, Anna Wintour shuns you. And if I were to use the words ostentatious, out of touch, horrible display of wealth, I think the picture that comes up on Google image search might be Anna Wintour. (laughs) I think so too. I mean, it is fun to see the clothing and all of the things, but this year we also got a lot of social media influencers all of a sudden appearing at the Met Gala. Yes, and allowing social media influencers to go to the Met Gala or to have these crazy sponsorships. Like, this is just reinforcing the problem It's true, actually. Mm -hmm. Addison Rae, the star of He's All That, was at the Met Gala. I saw. I know. It was a very young crowd, too. I will say that. It it seemed like a much younger crowd at the Met Gala this year, except for Ben and Jen. Yes, Ben and Jen were there. They were making out through their masks. (laughs) Jen was in a Ralph Lauren outfit that looked like Indiana Jones. I don't really know how that had anything to do with America. I mean, I guess I think America when I think Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones. <laughs> that is a very American thing. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. It's like a theme within a theme. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of cowboy hats. Yes. Uh-huh. A lot of boots. A lot of see-through. A lot of see-through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have not stayed silent today, you guys, <laughs> because you know that we feel that life is too short to stay silent. Thank you for raging with us.